Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit. My name's Sean and this is episode 89 and we're finally getting back to that top 50 countdown, Ronan. We certainly are. Hello everyone. Hello Sean. You're all very welcome to join us. We have been counting down to 50 to 1 as you'll know if you've been listening for the last past six months and in this episode, as promised, we are going to run down from 20 to 11. Almost the best games in gaming, Sean. Almost, Ronan, almost. We've got one episode left to, to bring out the very best. Every single one should be a doozy. There will be no mercy should there be any slip-ups at this stage. <laughs> I'm looking at my list. I think there's one or two you may be indifferent with, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that you're going to like most of them. I'm pretty sure you're going to scratch your head at me. <laughs> That's all good. It's fine. <laughs> so... Without further ado, let's crack on, Sean. Absolutely, and we are very proud members, as always, of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download the episodes, we're on Stitcher, iTunes, and of course Podbean. And please feel free to give us a like if you do indeed like what we do. So let's crack in here. And my number 20 is a game that's 13 years old now, but still going strong. It's from Freedom and Freeze 2004, and it is Power Grid, the classic where you are building up a network on a map of whatever part of the world now. There's many, many expansions available. And then you're looking to have power plants, which you are going to run to fuel the cities you're building this network off. And you're going to need different types of fuel, which is available in the market to run these power plants. It is still going strong at number 23 in the board game geek rankings. It might not be the coolest game anymore. It might never have had the most exciting presentation, but Sean, this is one of those games that every single time I get it out, I absolutely adore it and for some reason i struggle to get it to the table people are just they're not feeling the sexiness from power grid but it is all there in german efficient economical number crunching i was just looking back through my list and i actually didn't pick it and it must have been very very close to my top 50 ronan here's a great game it's a great brain workout game i think it can be a little bit clinical and dry for some people but i absolutely love it, it can be a little bit mean at times too I think the dryness for me, although it's there in the theme and possibly in the presentation, is that it's so interactive and that almost everything you do affects everyone else via the auction or hosing the market or jumping in a space and making it slightly more expensive for someone else to go in a city, whatever it might be. There's so much interaction that I end up thinking it's going to be dry, but it's nice and moist and... (laughs) Moist. I don't, like, I don't like that used to describe a board game. A moist power grid. <laughs> no, no, can we not? Yeah, good choice, Ronan. It is very, very much one of my top 100, if not in my top 50 this time, but uh, there or thereabouts. So I'm going to go on to my number 20, and it's Merchants and Marauders, the 2010 release from Z-Man Games, designed by Casper Orgard and Christian Marcusen. It's a essentially a game set in the, the West Indies in the grand old days of the Pirates of the Caribbean, etc. And a lot of people would say it's kind of a pick up and deliver meets sort of combat fighty game. Lots of avenues to explore with attacking others, trading, completing missions. And what you've got to do basically is just achieve 10 glory points to get the win. Why do I love this game so much? I mentioned a little bit there about the choice. 
It's choosing that path. You've got missions. You've got rumors. You can be a pirate in this game. You can be a trader in this game. You can upgrade your ship. You can change your captain. There's glory cards, and there's so much going on in this game. It kind of feels like you're free to explore the open seas and do what you want to do to try and get to victory. Merchants and Marauders is absolutely dripping in theme. It goes back to that Pirates of the Caribbean. You've got that feel and the brilliant series Black Sails. It kind of reminds me of that too. You've got events in this game that keep the storytelling, which is always important to me in games, very fresh and keeps you on your toes. And it's got a very exciting arc to it. It does start slowly. I'll give you that. It is quite a long game, but it really ramps up mid-game and the ending is often breathtaking. So that's my number 20. Mm, Merchants and Marauders did not make my list, despite me being a bit of a fan of it. And for me, that's because it's like a broadside of cannons from a new crew. It's hit or it's miss. Uh, When it's a miss, it misses hard. You have people finishing with one point having spent three hours doing almost nothing while one or two people might be having a great time and that's why i'll play it if i'm in the right mood i think it can be an excellent game but too many times it just falls that little bit short yeah for the time frame that that would be the only criticism of it is for the time frame if it doesn't hit with you then yeah it is a long... and it's not just with you it's not like it's an individual it's that every play is different and you could almost make the same decisions one game to another game and at one point it goes really well and the other game it doesn't and it really falls flat so it's kind of a bit out of your control yeah that's kind of what I like about it is that it just is so broad and you you are constantly on your toes and there isn't a specific winning strategy that's going to work for you time after time after time you've got to keep on your toes and you've got to work with the game so that's kind of what I like about it but I can see the flaws in it but I've thoroughly enjoyed the vast majority of my games are this so that's why it's my number 20 mm, flaky start flaky wow. that's not solid enough to be top 20 get out of here you landlubber <laughs> right now here is a game that is fantastic every single time i play it from michael adams and peter sarrett it's time's up if you can ask me for a specific one i'll go time's up title recall it is a party game in which you have a set set of questions you're going to play over a certain number of rounds in the first round you've got a clue giver giving clues to their teams i'd say anything they like as long as it's not on the card and the teams have multiple guesses you move on to the second round where the clue givers can only give one word clues but it's all the same answers the first round. So there's a bit of memory in there. There's a bit of tying things together. There becomes a little sort of subculture amongst each game because in the third round, you move on and you can't speak at all. You're just trying to act it out and you have to work on the clues that were given previously. And if you're sadistic enough to go fourth round, there's a statue round where your team have to close their eyes. You hit a pose and then you have to say, open your eyes. I led a group game of this at last Lobster Con where we had teams of one, two, three, and then four doing the statue round. It was at absolutely hilarious it always hits gamers non-gamers any situation where you've got eight ten people or more times up is absolute classic from 2008 and r&r games so for yeah this is a this is a funny one for me i've seen this game played probably 30 plus times I've never actually been involved in a game. I always seem to be in a long, epic, thematic or Euro game when this is like 
touted Blah, around. Slightly dodgy game of Merchants of Marauders. <laughs> Could quite possibly be. Everyone looks to have um, loads of fun. The stories that come out of it are absolutely hilarious. Last time we were in LobsterCon, a particular movie that was demonstrated brought much hilarity to the breakfast tables the day after even. So yeah, yeah it seems to be a very good choice, Ronan. Oh, it is. All of them, Marshall. Oh, well, my heart. <laughs> yes, What's dear. your number 19? <laughs> my number 19 is Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. It's uh, first raised its head above water in 1981, designed by Raymond Edwards, Suzanne Goldberg and Gary Grady, and coming from Istari Games at the moment. It's obviously Sherlock Holmes, and you're solving mysteries. It's a very text-heavy game where you're patrolling the streets of London trying to solve whatever mystery that's been thrown up to you, but you're against Sherlock Holmes. You've got to try and solve the mystery in fewer steps than he does. Hmm, yeah. <laughs> so why do I love this guy? I love solving mysteries. I love. I always love a mystery film on the telly, particularly like Sherlock Holmes. Obviously, the based in London and knowing all the locations brings me into the game more. I can lose myself in the area, and the familiarization helps that. It's always nice pretending to be a super sleuth, and you feel genuine reward when you solve a puzzle. However, I absolutely despise Holmes in this game because he's such an arrogant so-and-so, isn't he, Ronan? He's quite the irritant. <laughs> quite <laughs> the irritant. Uh, yeah, you, you can never do it in fewer steps than Sherlock Holmes. What the game does is it kind of gives you more information that you'll score extra points on, so you can take more steps than him. But if you get all the answers right, the thing I'm always talking about in this game, Sean, is that you can get down rabbit holes some of the clues are just far too vague you're never ever gonna be able to answer that question because it could be this it could be that you don't have enough information i'm almost tempted almost although it's spoil it to what i wish i guess i'm saying is that the questions that you had to find out were at the beginning of the case with non-spoilers in there because actually the questions for the case if you read them beforehand will give you spoilers and they'd lead you too much but non-spoiler questions at the beginning to give me some direction in my investigation so I know how I'm trying to score points because I get caught going round and round talking to some people getting some information and I don't know whether it's going to be 100% relevant to the case or 80% of what I found out is going to be absolutely useless to me there's no indication as I'm playing and I think that's the only irritant for me but I'm coming down too negative because I really really enjoy Sherlock Holmes I bought the expansion you've bought the expansion you've got Mythos Tales recently which is basically this game but reset in Arkham the Cthulhu theme hopefully not jokey because we all know that's rubbish and this is although not in my top 50 a near miss to that for me so this is a solid choice Sean it's one of those games where you can kind of sit down in a comfortable chair I'm particularly like playing it at my mum's because she's got an open fire in Ireland so we sit down around the open fire kind of lose yourself in the game itself so yeah that was my number 19 Sherlock Holmes consulting detective Ronan okay. you're number 18 my number 18 of all time is and Sean you know this is a big favourite in this house Dixit from 2008 designed by Jean-Louis Rubira. This is the game in which you have a storyteller, they choose a card that's going to have some kind of an unusual picture on it and they give a clue regarding the card. Then everyone else chooses a card out of their hand. All those cards that they've chosen get mixed together, put out in a row and if you weren't the storyteller, you're trying to guess which card was the storyteller's. So they're trying to give a clue that's non-obvious but that some people get and they're going to score points that way by either not everyone getting it and not no one getting it. Why do I love it so much? 
it came out in 2008 when my kids were gosh two and five and i think that probably we started playing it when the youngest one was three quite possibly when she could talk and look at pictures and have some things come out and it's been such a family thing for us that we've played it over the past nine years it's it's a fun time it's a time that we will share it's a time that we all um, really appreciate it's a, it's a way to talk and make shared memories and kind of get into each other's thoughts a little bit and it's non-confrontational and it's just really fantastic creative family time together where you're not under pressure to be creative or funny or wild or wacky you're just having your own internal thought processes and no answer is wrong because even if you didn't think of the same thing as they say the storyteller from their card what we always do is ask each other why did you choose that why did you choose that and yeah sometimes it's like oh, i had nothing better but, but a lot of the time it's because of this and because of that and you explore it a little bit and you chat and you tell stories and oh it's just such a lovely lovely time as a family so my number 18 game of all time is dixit right i'm not going to speak too much about this one ronan for reasons which will become obvious Oh, I wonder what they could be. I wonder what they could be. My only point this time is, why so low in your list? I expected this one to be top 10 material for you. Um, Because for me, I'm enjoying the family time. The game itself, it, 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 there's, there's not enough to the game for me to say it's the most incredible design of all time. I don't know. I can't really explain this one very well. I really love the time around it. The game is almost secondary the game is the enzyme that helps the family time run i don't know it's crucial it's there it's part of it we need it but the time is the important thing to me okay fair enough i don't know i don't know if that made any sense i don't think it did (laughs) probably probably not but let's let's move on we'll pretend it did Uh, my number (laughs) my number 18 is the 2006 release pillars of the earth Designed by Michael Reineck and Stefan Stadler, coming from Mayfair Games. It's based around the book, where you are, it's a worker placement game where you are essentially trying to build a cathedral and the person who builds it most efficiently wins the game. First off, it's an absolutely lavish production, a beautiful production. And in this game, in more ways than one, it's kind of the landmark for every time I talk about these euro games that make me feel like it's a real old-fashioned classic euro game this is pretty much what i'm thinking about every time i talk about those i love the worker action selection mechanism within it where you draw in and you choose whether to spend money to actually go earlier in the round or do you hang back love that mechanism within the game lots of variety in the point scoring and resource gathering cards that come out and Good old-fashioned Euro classic and something that I still thoroughly enjoy. That's Pillars of the Earth. Very good. Solid game. Probably not even top 100 material. World Without End is better. And I'm looking forward to the third one coming out. But I'll always enjoy a game of Pillars of the Earth. Yeah, I I still thoroughly enjoy it. There's there's probably not enough. Because I've played it enough times that I know all the cards and the events. Even with the expansion, there's a pattern to the game. And the pattern comes out. There's only so much you can do each time. And you're building up and you're waiting for those round five and round six ones to score all your points. And, you know, it, it, it's not broad enough, I think, for it to be a top, top game for me. It's slightly a little bit on rails. 
So, I, again, but I really enjoy it. I don't want to slate the game. It's a really good game. It's a little bit on rails for me. That's all. Yeah, I don't think I've played it close to the amount of times because you, you always were the person who owned it and you're the person that would, like, when we go around your house, if, if we wanted to play that sort of archetypal Euro, you'd often say, ah, oh, Pillars of the Earth, I've got the expansion. Excellent. So we'd, we'd play at yours and then it's only recently I actually picked up a copy myself and then uh, a very kind gentleman managed to track down the expansion for me for my birthday Good looking a couple fella. of years ago. Good looking fella. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe even the voice of gaming. <laughs> maybe even the voice of gaming. Tom Vassell got me my game. <laughs> he's a good bloke, yeah. <laughs> he's lovely. Surely he's the face of gaming. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he would be the voice of gaming then. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Their, their podcast get the most downloads still. I don't know. Maybe Secret Cabal. Jamie Keeley could be the voice of gaming. Hey now! <laughs> we are founders! <laughs> cool. Could be Rado. Could be Rado. Okay, so we kind of split there, but not my number 18. Pillars of the Earth. Okay, my number 17. Now, we established when we're talking to Adam about Look Back at 2016 that I love a co-op. I like a tough co-op. And cracking in at number 17 is one of the toughest. It is Robinson Crusoe from 2012 and Ignacy Shravashek. This is the game in which you one to four players are stranded on an island. You find yourself on a beach and you have got a certain number of rounds to achieve a task. Now, depending on what scenario you play, there's different things you've got to do get rid of the fog and plant crosses maybe even save king kong there's the expansion where you're going on the voyage of the beagle it's obviously being uh, reworked now to be first martians to set on mars which some people have their copies already so uh, they're just getting sent out now it's july 2017 uh, but this is the original you're fighting against the game you're fighting against fate it's got the fantastic story system whereby something happens to you and it gets slipped back into the deck and there may be repercussions later on you're constantly judging up the odds and going is this worth risking is it not should we send one person and have a risky role there should we send two and double it down if you send two to do everything where everything's safe you're not going to get enough things done you won't win the game it's when and how to take those risks like all good co-ops and this is one of the very very best co-ops it's robinson crusoe my number 17 so this one would have been a fairly strong contender for my top 50 i feel a butt coming on there. there's the butt the, the barrier of entry for me was just too much if you weren't around to teach me the game because you played it quite a few times and you'd kept it fresh in your mind and you were able to teach it fairly coherently i'm pretty sure i've taught it wrong every time by the way <laughs> therein lies the problem like because every time i bought it i got the voyager the beagle expansion never even touched it and would bring it out to play and it would be such an investment in time to relearn the game every sort of four or five months that i'd bring it out to play have you had a sniff at the second edition rulebook i haven't no i've got rid of my first edition copy because it just it was just killing me. Like I'd bring it out and it'd be just head shake time. The rule book because it was just such an investment in time just to learn it. I'd end up putting it back on the shelf. So you know what? I just haven't got the time. Which was saddened me because I really like the game once I'm in it and I'm understanding it again. But yeah, it had to go. Yeah, shocking rule book. <laughs> You're not wrong there. I mean, there's all kinds of guides out there and stuff and player guides, which we all know, like the Universal Head Player Guides. Why don't game companies just pay them some money and get a Universal Head Player Guide into every single game that comes out? Because they're brilliant. Why do we not have decent player guides to come out with games? I will never ever ever understand it i know it's hard because you're in the bubble you know the game very well it's then hard to write a guide 
then blind play test it and see the questions that people are asking and put that in a guide. Anyway, you're right. I understand it. I understand that the rulebook absolutely hampered, but it is a fantastic game when you get into it and a real challenge and a story and an experience. It's been five years of just headache-inducing fun for me. And my number 17 is Robinson Crusoe. Sean? Right, Ronan, I know I'm on fairly solid ground here with my number 17 because I love a party. <laughs> Aquasphere. I love a party with a happy Aquasphere. <laughs> <laughs> I think that deserves to be around number 45, if my research right. <laughs> Is that exactly where it needs to be? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So obviously, it's the uh, tw- we've talked about it many, many times on this podcast. 2014 release, Steffenfeld, Hall Games and Pegasus Spiel. It's efficiency at its best. Not when we play it, it's not. No, okay. It's efficiency it's at its best. Efficiency. <laughs> <laughs> when like, someone like Rachel or Natalie play it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an intriguing puzzle. Point salad, yes, but it generally makes sense why you're getting points in this particular game. And in my opinion, it's Feld's very best game. So that is why Aquasphere is at number 17 for me. Yeah, it was my number 45. Rock, solid choice, brilliant, thinky, fairly complex Euro gaming at its very best. And we're excited for Merlin later this year, aren't we? We are, we are. I need, need to give Oracle Adelphi some more plays to see if I can get alongside your love of the game but yeah merlin's looking very very exciting yes Essen, i'll definitely be grabbing it okay let's move on to our last game before the halftime break we can get a cup of tea come back and join us and this is from 2014 three years ago it doesn't seem like it but it's patchwork from Uwe Rosenberg. Now, obviously, as you know, if you listen, my partner's Rachel. She loves gaming probably more than I do. She'd more like to ask for a game. And she absolutely fell in love with Patchwork. She downloaded the app. I'm not joking, I tell you. She's in the several hundreds of plays off the game. In the app form, we are up above 40 plays in the physical form. You get it out. We have usually a best of three game going on. It's really tough now. She's fantastically good at it so if i can ever win one game i'm quite proud of myself it's such a simple idea that simple economy with buttons you're laying down the tiles you're trying to fill up your duvet and you're trying to do it by managing buttons and time that system whereby you move forward and you take an action and hindmost goes first works in so many games i love it I, every time it's in a game i think it's interesting francis drake gets you red november whatever it may be and it works here and there's a mechanic and he's using more it's easily the best of the toll lane games that have come out that it has inspired and patchwork is just two player brilliance but it was probably a top 100 game for me maybe even a top 75 but near not, not quite in that top 50 bracket thoroughly enjoy the games of it uh, myself and nat we're we're on a pass so we kind of it's a bit back and forth between us so we're the perfect partners to play with with that with each other so yeah really strong game actually heard on the dice tower they saying that cottage garden was the much superior game and i think it was tom himself that he didn't understand Get the love out. for patchwork he likes it but he said mm, i don't understand why it's so so widely popular but yeah cottage garden cottage garden is both more complex and more limited in your decisions these are two things that do not work together smaller boards where you're completely tied in by areas and a ridiculous scoring system Mm. get out Uh, the only thing with going for Cottage Garden it had that kind of uh, 
that Maori selection system where you go around the outside and you can choose along your column or row. That is interesting, but it works better in Maori. So just go play that and then the game of patchwork and you'll get them done in the amount of time it takes to play Cottage Garden anyway. Fair enough. Okay. My number 16 and this is the, I think it's the one time we're going to have beef, Mr. Rice. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Not so much about my selection. It's about the version of my selection. Oh, no. Uh, Are you going to say something Cthulhu? No, Merchant of Venus. You're going to go the FFG rules, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I've only played the FFG rules, so I couldn't I've only played the classic rules. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were just going to tell me that's a nonsense, because that's the version I'm choosing is obviously the FFG one that came out in 2012, designed uh, Richard Hamblin, who designed the original, and uh, in the second edition, assisted ably uh, by Robert A. Kuba, obviously from Fantasy Flight Games. It is a a game about space traders seeking fame and fortune, and it's essentially the pick-up and deliver game so why do i like this one so much the theme is probably the the thing that really engages me with this game i love the theme i love the sci-fi theme and the kind of comedy elements going on and planning your roots the exploration in the game i love a bit of exploration not knowing exactly where everything is the freedom that you have in the game to just go around choose your passengers that you want to transport choose your trades that you're going to make and the trading and the upgrading is all things that are very much in my wheelhouse so that's my number 16 merchant of venus second edition i i've only played the classic rules i played someone back in those wilderness days when you couldn't get hold of it for 15 or 20 years or whatever so i had an absolutely fantastic printed out copy that was like is better than a professional game if the Soren on the board had it we played his version of it and I, I did enjoy it quite a lot I'm not sure I went to play it that often it was long it was quite random once you set down a track of that's so why I'm going to try and get this race to that amount of money you will kind of set down it and going back to before we were talking about engine running and engine building there was a lot of engine running once you were set, going, I'm trying to get there, and I roll of dice, and I got knocked back. And it's funny, don't get me wrong, I really liked it. It's a good game. Top 200 game. Top 150 game, I don't know. Certainly not a bad game by any means at all. I enjoy my play. Not not a top-notch game. And I know it's just based on theme, but I'd rather play Firefly, to be honest. See, it's, this is the game that kind of made me think of pick up and deliver as a mechanism that i actually quite enjoy i don't know i couldn't tell you why i enjoy i think it's just something fulfilling about just constantly like bringing that those goods to the the destination oh yeah i can see it the thing of you're making a pattern and you're finalizing a deal that needs to go there now it belongs there it's kind of like that feeling you get when you tidy something up and you go oh i feel quite good about that i don't do it very often but you know once a year i tidy yeah because there's there's a few there's i think there's three in my top 20 games that oh, I'll pick up and develop or have them in it. I've obviously mentioned Merchants Marauders. Uh, obviously, this one is the sort of archetypal pick up and deliver game. So, yeah, it's something that I didn't really know was in my wheelhouse until I started doing this list. Oh, there we go now. You pick up a pick up and deliver from now on forever. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, so there we have our break, and we will join you after that break for 15 to 11. Now, Sean, I imagine I'm about to get some abuse, but I am sticking strong on my choice for number 15 best game of all time because it's in its category. I want you to keep that in mind when you start shouting at me. I'm, I'm shaking my head already. I'm, I'm frightened. If I tell you it's from 2012 by Seji Kanai, you'll probably know that I'm talking about Love Letter. Ooh. 
I'm not too upset by that. No, I thought you were going to cane me off for this. My love for Love Letter has grown. Oh, good, good, because uh, I've got 91 plays of it logged, and that's just with the actual base Love Letter, not including Batman and whatever else that may be around there. So Love Letter is that filler where you've got a card in your hand, you draw another card, you play one of them, there's eight different cards, they have powers, and you're trying to be last person standing with highest value card, or just last person standing. And you're going to play to a certain number of points, depending upon whatever you agree between you. Why do I love it so much? Well, it came out in the 2012 Lobster Con in the autumn when I was well in my cups at three in the morning at some point. And all of us, the four of us stayed there and played on until half seven that morning before we just walked straight up and had breakfast and then walked downstairs and carried on gaming. And the reason it hooked you like that is because it's deceptively simple and it has that key to it of group emergence not necessarily emergent gameplay which gets talked about a lot in gaming theory and people are discussing games what have you all that deep stuff that sean and i don't get involved in because we haven't got anything clever to say but in group emergence in that the game evolves as you play each hand of it as a group and you learn to bluff and counter bluff and a pattern that people play and it, with a certain situation with certain cards really played what they're likely to play out of two giving you more of a chance to guess what they have as a guard and it's there that I think it gets brilliant by playing with the same group again and again and again and having the play evolve a bit. And no, it's not massively deep. It's not like Titcher or something you play thousands of times. But I think you can get dozens of plays out of this in a group of four before you're done with it. And I've done it with so many different groups. It's worked with so many people. Again, it's worked with my family incredibly well. We've made Sean play it plenty of times that in its category of a half an hour filler for three or four people, Love Letter is just brilliant, and it's my number 15 game of all time. It was never going to be in my top 50 or even top 100 uh, by that count, but as Ryan said, he's, he's forced me to play it so often. He's locked me in rooms with this game for so long. I've got Stockholm Syndrome, and I've started to actually like it. So, yeah, I can I can see it for what it is now. It's, it's a filler game that's quite clever in what it does. A lot of games try to emulate it, but never quite match the the magic, the gold dust that, that Love Letter does have within it. So, yeah, it's, it's a, a choice I can't argue with, Ronan. Oh, well, good. Oh, give me a choice I hopefully can argue with. What's your number 15? Sean? You've got no chance, seeing as it was in your top 50. My number 15 is Zombicide. 2012 release designed by Raphael Guiton, Jean-Baptiste Lulen, Nicolas Raut, and coming from Guillotine Games. <laughs> so, why do I love this? <laughs> so, why... Brains behind it. <laughs> why do I love this? I love zombies. I've long been a, a zombie fan, literature, games, what have you. Were you in mourning this week, by the way? I was in mourning. I was in mourning. I put a little bit of Facebook post with a little cry, a tear rolling down yeah. the cheek. A sad day. A sad, sad, day. Day. sad day today. <laughs> sad day today, yes. We've lost a, a musical luminary. Uh, <laughs> indeed, Lincoln indeed. Park lead, lead singer. Chester Bennington has, has gone. Yeah. yeah. And you, you saw you them live less than two weeks ago. You did. Gutted, you did. I was... It's been a sad week in the game pit, hasn't it? It has. It has. But, Cheer us up with all this death around us by talking about zombies. Yeah, so, yeah, right. great. <laughs> so it's not a straight-up hack and slash. It's more thinky than that. You, you have to solve a puzzle within this game. That's what I really like about it. The 
stories that are formed within the game, stuff that we we talk about days afterwards. I remember when your character only had a pan that was surrounded by fifteen zombies, stayed alive long enough to keep to save the rest of the group. It's a genuine co-op. You all have to think together, work together. Simple but effective AI in the zombies and the and the creatures. So yeah, it was always going to be a winner for me and my very favourite zombie game, Zombicide. Yeah, it was my number 24. Extremely solid choice. Easily the best zombie game going, probably. <laughs> and uh, yeah, wow. Very good choice, Sean. What else can I say? Not a lot. I knew I was on fairly solid ground there. Now, Roden, are you going to put us on some shaky ground for your number 14? I'm, I might put you on shaky ground, but then convince you that it's absolutely solid ground <laughs> and you should still vote for me. Because my number 14 is the 2007 release Tammany Hall from Doug Eckhart. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I adore Tammany Hall. It is a three to five players, best of five players game in which you are trying to manipulate elections in New York in the late 19th century by means, no, no fair means, basically just foul means. It is open political warfare and everything resolved by votes in which you have control of, of what you're voting it's actually bidding although they're called votes and, and you build up strength and different amounts of your strength can count depending upon what immigrants have moved into an area and where you've put ward bosses and everything you do acts against the other players and you're trying to win the most wards to become mayor but if you become mayor you get extra points but you don't have any powers for the next cycle and there's four election cycles you play through so it's all about timing your push to victory Almost no one's ever out of it. There is a chance to get loads of points at the end of the game by controlling immigrant groups and having them support you most. It came out in 2007 in a very, very small release. It was kind of a whitey, pinky board. I've never even seen that. I believe that it was numbered in the hundreds, one or 200 copies only. It got enough traction to come back out again around 2010, somewhere around that. And that's when I jumped on board it and boy I have not looked back. Tammany Hall is just a fantastic negotiating very in your face game but it's not actual combat which takes a slight edge of it somehow and you're picking and choosing your battles all the time loads of loads of meta talk loads of table talk that's what it's all about and it is just absolutely brilliant I think criminally underrated to be honest with you Tammany Hallman, number 14. Yeah, I've only played the one game of this, uh, and it was with your good self. And yeah, I love I love the the uh, roles you get assigned. I love the area control side of it. Yeah, very, very solid gameplay. But yeah, as you said, lots of lots of trash talk going around. And my my one endearing memory of this one is that you were seen as the Tammany Hall shark at the time, so everybody was focusing on you. They let the noob just sit and do whatever he wanted. He wasn't going to be a problem, and I won the game. I've now retired from Tammany Hall with a 100% record, so that's, that's what I'm taking with me from Tammany Hall. I reckon there's about a dozen games I have not been allowed to win it so far. <laughs> in a row. It's everyone going, well, usually I'm teaching it as well, which doesn't help in this sort of a game. But yeah, by the way, Rowan's a shark. Don't let him do anything. And I'm sitting there on three points halfway through the game going, but I am literally on three points and you've wiped me off the board. I couldn't be in much of a weaker position. Yeah, still attack him. Still attack him. It's <sighs> fair shout in my book. Not a problem yeah. with that. <laughs> Tammany Hall's brilliant. People are not brilliant. People are bad. What's your number 14? Sure. My number 14, Ronan, is Star Trek Fleet Captains 
2011 release from WizKids, designed by Mike Elliott, Brian Kinsella, and Ethan Pasternak. I like Star Trek. I'm not quite... I like Star Trek. I like Star Trek. I'm not quite a Trekkie or a Trekker. I can't remember which one they prefer to be called. Um, but I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the borderlines. I'd, I did have that Star Trek top once. <laughs> that <I> didn't, <laughs> didn't we both? Did we both? That we didn't quite fit into. There were photos of us not quite fitting into Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> that large was never going to do it on me. Yeah. <laughs> No. <laughs> I gave it a good go. Anyway. We, we did. We we gave it a good old solid British go. Uh, <laughs> so, like Star Trek, this, in my opinion, is the best Star Trek game to date. It's highly thematic, with the factions playing out very similar to they do. So the Federation, the Klingons are the two you get in the, in the base box, and then the Romulans and the whoever else come in later on. Lots of re- replayability with the huge variety in command decks, so you can tweak how you play. There's variety in how you actually win the game. The tile exploration is always fun to see what you're going to come across, and that's kind of the, the the thing about Star Trek is that they're exploring the unknown, so that had to be there. And, of course, the toy factor with those hero click ship models, they weren't the most user-friendly, often getting stuck and being broken in the box and stuff like that, but they did look fantastic on the table. So that's my number 14. Well, number 14, eh? I could almost do a cut and paste of my comments for Merchants and Marauders. <laughs> Actually, I, I prefer fleet captains to Merchants and Marauders, I have to say. But here's where you and I differ sometimes on games in that, okay, you, you can call me out on some of them, but I am less likely to rate a game like this, which can fall flat really, really highly. Although I might want to play it. Uh, there'll be times I'm in the perfect mood for it and certainly have been. And we sat down and we've had great games of it. We've also had some rubbish games of it. So uh, that's what stops me from really rating it top, top notch. Is it a really good game? Yeah. I've had loads of fun playing it. Yeah. But have I had some rubbish times playing it? Yeah, as well. So that's always going to hold me back. You're always, I think, looking at the really great plays and going, well, because I can get that great play. That's how I rate it. And I'm always kind of going, if I'm having those rubbish plays, I'm kind of getting pulled back a little, a little bit, a little handbrake on it. So at its best, really great game. But again, slightly too, definitely too flaky for top twenty business. Well, I see what you're getting at there. Yeah, I, I do. I will, I will give a game based on its absolute best, and if as long as it hasn't been terrible too many times, I will, I will look to that big, big, exciting game that I've had, and I will look back fondly on that. I don't really a game that's been good consistently. It doesn't really do it for me. I, I want a game to have the potential to be absolutely breathtaking. But there wow. you go. There you go. Breathtaking. Ooh. Wow. I'm looking at my list. I'm not sure I can get it. Breathtaking. <laughs> I've had a lot of very good games in my number 13. I'm not sure my breath's even taken away. Well, it can get thrilling. You get down to the last turn and you've got to pull up your, your, your moves because it's a 2008 classic co-op. Possibly at this stage, the classic co-op. His progeny has taken over the world, and this is Plain Old Pandemic from Matt Leacock, in which you are working together to save the world from four diseases, trying to find the cures before the outbreaks get too serious or you run out of time. Obviously, it spawned 
all sorts of games out of this cure and legacy and iberia and cthulhu and and all the rest and they're going to carry on coming we know they are because it's a fantastically solid system it leads to genuine co-op play there is no one solution there's only a solution when you're looking at the board because you've got imperfect information you don't know what's going to get drawn from either of the two decks it's a constantly evolving puzzle in which you're constantly interacting and Again, my, my uh, predilection for co-ops is coming through again, and I just absolutely adore Pandemic, and it stood up to so, so many repeated plays that it had to be on here at number 13. Yeah, it kind of took Pandemic Legacy for me to really start caring about anything in the Pandemic range, and that's only because it started making me actually think about the story behind it. Up to then, pan- Pandemic just felt like a maths puzzle, just pushing it putting cubes on a board and being the most efficient of removing them. I didn't really feel like I was saving the world. Legacy has kind of brought the story alive for me. That's why I like Legacy, and I'm I'm okay with Pandemic. I just don't see the absolute mindless love for it. How many times have I got to tell you an idiot when you're about <laughs> How many times have I seen it on this podcast? Don't let me get Chris Marling in here to tell you what fool you are. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can't argue with this one. 13 is Dixit, 2008 release. You've told everyone it's... Terrible choice. (laughs) Jean-Louis Rubira. Um, The art, of course, from uh, Marie Cardouat and from Liberland. It's a great family game. Amazing, thought-provoking art. Uh, you can teach children appreciation of art and bring out, as Rona said before, that amazing imagination of children. I haven't started actually playing it with my boy yet. Uh, I didn't actually know Ronan had started at three with his youngest, so maybe it's time actually I do start playing it. Otherwise, I think Dixie would have been higher if I'd started playing with my boy. I know everyone thinks their own kids are unique, but as you know, my youngest has got a bit of a a 10 degree wonk on her vision at life. <laughs> she sees things differently to other people. So it's kind of an experiment when they were giving it to her again. I wonder what she'll come up with. And she did not fail to entertain. She was brilliant to the point where people used to take videos of her explaining things about why she chose a particular car. Cause she'd have a whole story about certain details and who they are and where they came from. And it, and it would kind of make sense if you, got into her universe. <laughs> That's why we started it so young. You remember her telling those stories. It was like, okay, cuckoo. <laughs> I remember them very well. It used to take half an hour to sort of get to the bottom of what, where, where they came from. Well, this fella here is going through this door because, okay, I didn't even see the door. <laughs> so, yeah. Also, I think uh, my kids have been, always been quite visual. So uh, th- that's why it really hit home with them. I think it's going to be tougher with certain kids, maybe the ones that are more active. Obviously, your kid is really, really active and around, very physical and stuff like that. Uh, you just got to find the games that suit the kids always. You know? That's why I bought him Berg Flatterstein, because it's you know, active and doing things. And you know, yeah, Every kid can't get painted the same colour or pegged in the same hole. Fair enough, fair enough. But that was my number 13, Dixit. What's your number 12, Ronan? My number 12 is going to come out of left field because I've never, ever mentioned it on the podcast, Honest. And it's 2012's game by Thomas van der Ginster and Wolfa Planka. It's Yido. 
You, you got to know I love you, though. Everyone had to know this. Actually, you haven't mentioned it for a little while, I think. <laughs> it was very oh, early, early game pit days. That was that was the big oh, thing. Oh, no, no. It's been mentioned this year, definitely, for sure. I was <laughs> saying, well, every, uh, at least every Lobstacon episode, it comes out because I play every Lobstacon. So. <laughs> uh, it's the game in which you are running a family of ninjas in feudal Japan. You've got auctioners to try and build up your own tableau of powers or whatever it might be. And then you're sending your ninjas out into the city as worker placement to either complete missions for you or build up your shopping list to complete the missions because they require certain weapons or for you to be in certain places or that you have certain facilities in your house, whatever it may be. And the missions come with different difficulties and you're trying to score points all the way through over the 11 rounds of it. It's a three hour worker placement game with loads of interaction a dollop of nastiness and meanness to each other lots of frustration often from almost incidental blocking i'll say it's not incidental you do know what you're doing when you're going there there's a good chance you're blocking someone out you have to read what they're trying to do and where they're going it's just a brilliant heavier euro i feel like over the past five years it has slowly 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 gained traction it's now up to number 397 on the Board Game Geek rankings, but I never feel like it's been fully publisher-supported. I never feel like someone's really got behind it and given it a massive launch and pushed it and pushed it again. We know there's an expansion that's been designed and is ready to go, but it appears to be completely cancelled now by the publisher. I know the designers are looking into how can they get that expansion available to their fans, which is a real shame to me. I feel like Yudo is a game waiting to be given a huge push and i feel, feel like it would be a huge hit because it's brilliant and so many people i've played it with absolutely adore it so sean you knew it was coming somewhere my number 12 yido yeah i thought it'd be top 10 again i thought it'd be top 10 but yeah a uh, very strong game i haven't played it enough to really say it could be really realistically in and around my top 50 but i recently played it for the first time in probably like two or three years and it was with our good friend Steve Paget, who's. I was trying to explain to him why it was that this game was famous in London on board for being the table flip game because he couldn't really see it from the mechanics. I was like, "Yeah, I can't explain it." And then <laughs> later on, it happened. I'd been awake for like twenty hours. I'd been on a double shift, and I was absolutely out on my feet. And I did a really silly move, and the person next to me was like, "Okay." Oh, he knows what he's doing. I'm going to follow him. And I ruined his whole game <laughs> because I completely messed up the timing of what I was trying to do. You've never seen this man is the most placid man in the world. He nearly lost it. He nearly lost the <laughs> rag. <laughs> Do you know, sometimes it's worth sacrificing a ninja just to do that. <laughs> and you're on like four, and everyone else on two or three, you just go, yeah, all right, go on. Yeah, yeah, I've got a card. Yeah, yeah, I'll sort that out. <laughs> <laughs> it's that sort of a game. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's got that whole chain thing, hasn't it? And it's got the sweeping round of the guards that close down things. And then there's cards that, events that shut down areas and, and suddenly your chain can get broken for two or three turns in an 11 turn game and you can feel really really stuck and you've got to think your way out of it and if you ever you run out of money oh it's so hard you've got to think you've always got to be on your toes and not get yourself a situation where you have to be in one place you always have to give yourself different routes to get around and do things but that's part of learning the game i guess anyway my number 12 fantastic game yido Sure. But my number 12, I spoke about not too long ago at all, two episodes ago. It's Star Wars Rebellion 2016 release from Corey Kanichka, Fantasy Flight Games, 
to borrow from the Dice Tower Boys, it is Star Wars in a Box, highly thematic game. You can make up your own stories as well within the game. Great game of cat and mouse, and a huge toy factor going on, and yeah, my favourite Star Wars game. So again, I'm a big Star Wars fan, so that's my number 12. Keeping it short, because we've talked about it at length. I guess I'll keep it short as well then. Like I said, not played it enough times for it to push forward into my top 50, but very much enjoyed my initial plays. If it gets on the table regularly, it has a definite shot of being here whenever we decide to do this again in another four years' time or whatever it may be. But yeah, Star Wars are brilliant. A kind of sleeper for me because it's hard to get that four-hour two-player game. Rachel's not that into Star Wars. Yeah, but... But still, I, I cannot diss the choice because it's it's a good game. It's a good game. So, so I thought I was doing Cult of the New with my number 11, Sean. It's from 2015. <laughs> Daniele Tashini and Simone Luciani. It is The Voyages of Marco Paolo. Ah, uh, good. Good game. Oh, oh, you boys were talking about Alien Frontiers, you and Adam, a couple of episodes ago. And he said it was the uh, gold standard of dice placement games well I'm going to have to disagree with him and say no Marco Polo is the gold standard of dice placement games it's tight it's hard you start off that first round or two and you've scored 8 points and you think oh, I'm never going to get to 70 points and then suddenly all the things you've been doing to get yourself going start kicking in you start getting city bonuses you can use you start using your power better because there are more opportunities for you you've built up and you finish contracts you get to chain them off each other and you slowly start revving 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 in terms of engine building to engine running there's very little engine running in this game you in fact you don't really feel like you've completed your engine and the race is over it's like you're throwing bits on it as you're going as it's rolling along and you're trying to oh, keep up with it and try to keep going and you're constantly fighting and someone blocking in a space can be crucial only costs you money you can always go to a space but that money may have just been needed to finish off the move that you needed to do this that or the other whatever your plan may be it's strategic depth and tactically, you have to be aware. You have to take the opportunities that are available to you. A beautiful, very tight Euro works from two to four players. Any player count takes around 90 minutes. One of the very, very best games of the last couple of years. If not the best game of the last couple of years. I'm looking ahead now. Yeah, yeah. The best game of the last couple of years, bar one. The Voyages of Marco Polo. See, yeah, the, the thing about this one is it kind of, in, in adversity, it kind of sticks with me. Because two, two issues, well, not issues, two things that happened to me. Number one, Ronan is exceptionally good at this game. And like yeah. to, the, to the point where I've never seen you lose this game. And I've played a few times with you now. So uh, I've lost plenty. There's not going to be. <laughs> no, n- normally, that would just be like, if I can't beat Ronan, I can't even get close to him again. Normally, that would just frustrate me and I wouldn't want to play it. But this one, I constantly want to play it. Because even though the first time I ever played this, I just didn't really know what I was doing, what my aims were, what I was trying to, how I was trying to progress. And normally I'm, I'm quite good at picking up straight from the bat the very the simplest tactics and just going with them and then learn the game off those. This one, I couldn't even do that. But I wanted to learn more. And every time I've played it, I've got a little bit better because I've learned a little bit more. And that's a very, very good thing for a game to have. So that's, that's why I'm sticking with this game. And that's why I like this game. Not quite in my top 50, but in and around my top 100, I'd say. Oh, you got to find the magic in this one, man. This one I'll defend. This has got everything. And this is definitely a game I don't understand why you don't have more love for. Because I feel like it's got everything for you here. 
But there you go. You, you do, although you're interacting a bit with other players, you're doing your own thing. You're finding out with these city powers and my personal power and my goals, what's the best way I can make this all click together and work? It's that little puzzle. It's a different puzzle every time you play that. I, I'm sure you, I'm, you're gonna you're gonna crack on this one. All right, this will be in your top fifty next time. I'm gonna make uh, you play it. It very, may, very, very may well be. Uh, I, I really like it. Don't get me wrong. I really like this game. On the edge of buying it constantly. Every time I think, what game should I buy next? If I've got a few pounds set aside for game, Marco Polo is always in that sort of three or four games that I'm, I'm looking at buying. So yeah, if I, I think if I buy it and I start playing it more definitely, it will probably crack my top fifty. I do really like it. It's a very strong game. We might just play it on Monday. Just the next game today. We might just throw it on there. Just Fair start enough. the indoctrination. Right. Fair sure. enough. Our last game for the episode. You want last to game. That this one, I think. Hit you're... us with something amazing. No, I think you're quite indifferent about this one. I think you're me. I don't think you've seen the love for this one. My number eleven is Libertalia, 2012 release. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, from Paolo Mori and Marabonta Games. I think it's a great game of deduction. You're deducing what the other players are trying to do. There's some luck in there, which I, I don't doesn't bother me at all. There's a huge variety of roll cards. So obviously you're a you're in a pirate ship and you're playing cards, the same cards as the other players, but there's such a big variety that you're never going to say see the same set twice. Lots happening in here. You've got set collection, you've got push your luck, you've got roll selection. I think it's very interactive because obviously you're playing with the other players, you're playing the cards down to see what they've played. A lot of people say this one plays quite long for what it is, and I've never seen that. Now, maybe I'm enjoying the game so much that I just don't feel the time whisking by, but for me, it plays quite quickly. It seems like it's over as soon as it's begun. Dude, for me. dude, this is like a 90 minute game at least. Yeah, but that, that seems. For, for what this game gives you, the interaction, all the all the different mechanisms within it, I think that's that's quite quick for this. But I, I, I'll be I'll be prepared to be shot down on that one, and I think it's very thematic. I feel like I'm on a pirate ship. I think that all the character cards do what they should do. Like the brute is a brute. I I really love this game. I love the inter- interaction in this game, and it was very close as. As close as it can be to my top 10. That's Libertalia. Yeah, this is a, a very good 45-minute game in a 90-minute package. It doesn't do enough for an hour and a half. It's very light. There's a lot of guessing. And the interaction can be really, really punishing. Now, if I'm guessing interaction is punishing, if it's a short game, that's cool. But I can get behind in the first round and face an hour more of playing knowing I've got very little chance of winning. Even if I play as well as the next player, I'm still going to come last and that's tough man. And then even if I have got a chance, it's literally chance. It's, well, I I can kind of guess if anyone else is going to play this card right now, but I I don't really know if they are or not. And when I play my card, someone else plays it and they cancel each other out. Well, actually, I definitely can't win now because the most powerful card this round has been taken out almost on chance and it's too long mate that's all it is it's a fine game and i mean fine rather than it's a fine game and and i'll play it and other people enjoy it and that's that's okay it's not one i'm against or anything like that but it's just too long too light too random the beauty of this game is that you don't have to play the most powerful card of that round you can keep it to the next round 
you're always going to keep a few cards to the next round. So you don't, you're playing, you're playing over three it's rounds. The timing and someone it doesn't matter. So I can play it and you get cancelled, and there's nothing I can do about it. And that's it. I've lost. I can lose this game in the first fifteen minutes and sit there for an open. No, hour no, you can't. No, absolutely, no, absolutely not. You're talking nonsense. Of course you can't. I've done it. I'll prove it to you because I'm so bad at it. I'll bet you I can do it. Okay. Well, if you're going to be bad at something, you can. <laughs> you, you can lose. You can lose bad. any game in the first fifteen minutes if you're horrendous. <laughs> but I, I always feel like around and a half in, if you're playing with five or six people, there's two people in with a chance of winning. I don't feel like that. I think I feel like I'm always I'm always in the in the fold. I think there's always a chance for that to turn around. You can hold your cards back. You can go early. It doesn't feel like it's too long to me. But let's just agree that you're wrong. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> we'll see you after the break. There you go. Games 20 to 11 in our top 50 countdown. I'm sure you agreed with some. I'm sure you disagreed with some. And maybe there's some you haven't heard of or haven't played yet. And you think, oh, I've been meaning to play that. Well, probably they're a really good game. If they're not based about pirates. You had a bad pirate round there, Sean. Don't start. Don't start. My game's more fantastic. To a game. You pirates have let you down somewhat. Your bullion <laughs> has been swiped, my friend. Right. We will be finishing this off 10 to 1, but it won't be happening in the next few episodes because we have some reviews coming up for you, as ever. And then, Sean, we are fast creeping up on Essen. Woot, woot. Which... I'm definitely going to be there with uh, my daughter Eleanor as our production assistant. We'll be on the Dice Tower booth. This is all very early to tell you, but we're booking, so we might as well get you excited. You'll see us there in Game Pit t-shirts. Sean, probably going to be there? Uh, it's kind of 50-50. It's 50-50. Depends on, on a, a number of factors, but I haven't missed one since about 2013, so hopefully... <laughs> I'll, I'll wangle something hopefully we'll all make it there but yeah our build up to Essen starts here we start doing our research for games to let you know about them that's why we thought we'd mention it thank you so much Sean thank you Ronan thank you everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time for episode 90 of the Game Pit lovely and as always we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network go there and the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore if you wish to contact us email us at thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com we are on social media we have a Facebook page we are on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast, and we also have an Instagram page. We can also be found on Board Game Geek in our guild there, so please come along there and uh, ask us some questions or throw us some abuse, whatever you fancy. If you wish to download our episodes, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. And please, if you could leave us an iTunes review and let us know how we're doing, and hopefully it's good. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Music by the Aaron. Ronan's Rob.